Welcome to My Best 11 podcast. Today we are joined by an ex-Australian international, the man who I've had the honour of interviewing before, but not in this way, and it's fantastic to hear his Best 11 team. Today we are joined by a man who played central defence for a number of clubs in the UK, as well as um, now lives back in his homeland in Australia. Today we're joined by Chris Coyne. How are you, Chris? I'm good, mate. Good to speak again. How are you? Yeah, very good. Very good. And Marv, how well do you know Chris? Well, actually, well, actually I don't know if you, we should remember it because he's got quite a good memory. I um, dropped you and Bay off at the airport. I mean, not the airport, at the hotel. Remember, I picked you up yeah, and dropped mate. you up at the, at the hotel. Uh, the day they arrived. The Hotel, I can still remember getting dropped off there and wondering what I got myself into. <laughs> uh, no, good times, mate. It was good times, but um, yeah, it was um, a good group we had, mate. I have to say, very it was good. a very, very. I mean, I was very... obviously on my on my way out, but like it was, it, like you said, it was a fantastic group. Fantastic yeah, I, was, group. I was wondering, Marv, when we were like catching up, I was wondering how long it would take you to talk me through that goal. No, no, listen, I'm not going to make this listen, listen. Was, and it was your wrong foot as well as the foot you used to getting on buses. <laughs> listen, I was, I was pretty angry with my, with my right foot, to be honest. I, yeah. I, as a kid, I used, to, I used to practice with my right foot a lot. So it was, yeah. it was, it, and uh, it came, I say it came, it came natural, but it was quite natural for yeah, me was, to mate. finish with the right foot. But some finish, what, some goal. You know what? And it's my favourite ever. I mean, I didn't score that many goals. It's my favourite ever goal because a lot of people, I mean, I scored a goal um, against Ipswich in the cup in the last minute, which a lot of people talk about. That must be. No, the the one against Hartlepool is my favourite goal because it's like what I say, the Luton way. There's like seven, eight, nine of us involved passing the ball. And that's why yeah. it's my favourite goal. No, it was a beautiful goal. It was about eight, nine passes and it just went yeah. pop. Pop, 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 and then came back to you. I think Springy paid it into someone, and then you finished it off. It was Springy paid into forty, uh, yeah, forty artists in the night. Yeah. Right, yeah, it was forty. Yeah, I'm surprised it came back to you. <laughs> <laughs> forty knew, forty knew. I'd, I'd ring his neck if he if he didn't come back to me. If he, that's it. If I'll, it's my, it got a quick look. He went, I'll give, I'll give it him. I'll give it him. Yeah. Fantastic. So what we're going to go through, those people haven't listened to the podcast before, Chris is here to talk about the best 11 players he's ever set foot on a pitch with. So that's all the way through his um, his career, including internationals um, players as well. Uh, and over to you, Chris. So what formation are you picking? Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? I ended up going with a 4-3-3. I asked Marv if I could go 4-5-2, but he wouldn't let me. It's not playing by the rules. So, yeah, 4-3-3 for me. Nothing fancy. Excellent, excellent. So, 4-3-3. Um, we'll start off over the goalkeeper. So, I know you mentioned before off-air that they're a different breed. They are. Which different breed of a person have you got between the sticks? Well, that's Give us clues. Point. Give us some clues. Yeah, then, clues. Well, yes. so one of them I don't think you'd know is a boy that I played with here in Australia. Um, ended up going to Genk and having a really good career the last couple of years. He was sort of Matt Ryan's understudy. Um, one of them was a national goalie for a long time, which I think you'll get. Um, and when we're speaking of weirdos, I think you might guess the third one, Marv, because he was um, a special <laughs> character that we played with. But played with some real characters, you know, like um, Bernard Lamar when he was at West Ham was, you know, unbelievable French boy. Didn't try and train and come Saturday, he was like second second to none. He was brilliant. And then Mark Swartzer, I reckon, as well. Like, I didn't realise how good the guy was until I worked with him. You know, he, he had such a distinguished career, number two for a, for a while and then and then blitzed it. But the one for me, maybe it was because we had so much success, but Marlon Beresford was just such a big character at Luton and some of the saves that that guy pulled off, he was... You know, great feet, great ping. Um, I remember one time we were playing Sheffield Wednesday away and he was just coming, plucking things on the edge of the box and just laughing like it was hilarious. How much do you love me now? And I'm just sitting there going, oh, mate, don't, <laughs> don't worry about that. We had, <laughs> 10, we had 10 men as well. And it was one of them where, you you know, he'd done that week in, week out as well, Bez. He was um, some goalkeeper. He really was. So I'd have so to, I'd have no, to no, put Beresford in sticks, mate. Yeah. So you're not you're not letting us allow us have a little guess or anything. It's well, just yeah, taking all the fun out of it. The guy that played for Genk, 
No, no, we, we listen. You can say you can give honourable mentions about the guy who played for Gang, and you could have the West Ham guy, but we would have got Marlon Beresford. We would have got him. That's why he gave it. He gave it away because it would have been too easy for all the Luton fans. That's okay, what. that's exactly what it was, Marv. Okay, all right, all right. Give me one, leave yeah. me alone. Just because I was at the kids' football last night, you're just digging me out now. Aren't you? <laughs> we weren't going to mention the story, so we'll just no. keep going. No, that's all right. I'll take it. My bad. Uh, so, Marlon, you said that he was... I've heard some crazy stories about Luton goalkeepers in the past. And um, what made Marlon better or different or what separates him from Schwarzer? Um, he was just underrated. Like, he was... I mean, he was 34, I think, when he came in. And it was like, oh, he's just coming to pick the pieces up. But he was just such a big character in the dressing room. Um, nothing phased him. And what he brought, you, you know, Curtis Davis was coming through at the time. I was still only reason, reasonably young as well at the time. And then Marlon just brought this calmness yeah. um, and experience. And some of the saves that the guy made, he, he was he was a great shot stopper, phenomenal shot stopper. And I think looking at the game sort of holistically, I think if Marlon had played now, he probably would have been a more rounded goalkeeper than some of the boys that were playing Premier League because he was so good with his feet. You know, he had an absolute left wand on him that he could just pick passes out, half volleys. Um, he was just a, a very, very good goalkeeper. But the fact that he commanded his box and he'd, he'd come and pluck things, he was um, he was very good. And I suppose at Luton, we were lucky. We had a few lunatics along the line, Miles, didn't we? You, you would have yeah. played with Les, Les Sealy was a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bless him, but, um, I played yeah, with him. him. He was a bit older when I was at West Ham, and he was just an absolute lunatic for a seventeen-year-old to to see what he was all about. But yeah, Marlon for me, I just think he just I think he had better feet than Swartzy. Swartzy was an unbelievable shot stopper, good presence, great career. But for me, maybe because I played more with Marlon than Swartzy, I thought he was the um, the best of the two for me. Excellent. Excellent. So move on to right back, left back, wherever you prefer. Yeah, well. Right back, um, again, a tough one. Um, obviously, a young, young kid with an Irish background was one of my picks, a Luton boy, uh, who went on and had quite a, quite a good career. Yeah. Um, another fella I played with up at Dundee, um, he was at Real Madrid and then went to Argentina and played at San Lorenzo. Um, and unfortunately, he had to retire at about 26, 27. But um, he was phenomenal, absolute phenomenal player. He was a right back in the sort of Ilka Carlos Edwards. Um, but I probably plumped. I'll, I'll let you have a guess, Marv, so you don't sulk at me anymore. But <laughs> Andrew knows it. Go on, Andrew. You know, you know it. Go on. Which one have you gone for? The young Irishman. The Irish one. Uh, the young Irishman. You'll get straight away. Yeah, is that, Kevin. Is that, is that the one you've gone for? Yes. I went with, uh, with the with the Spaniard Javier Artero. Um, unbelievable play. This is early two thousands, and we actually did you go up to Dundee that time, Marv, for pre season to Scotland? Yes, yeah. He just come in then, and like he was, he was scary, scary player. Um, two feet drifted past people like they weren't there. Unbelievable person as well, like an absolutely right. beautiful person. And he was a sort of link because we had Italian managers at the time. Because he spoke Spanish and a little bit of Italian, he was a sort of conduit between all the boys and the coach and stuff. But um, right. Phenomenal player. He um, career ended young, but he um, he was some player. I think he was 26, 27. Um, to, play for Madrid, to play for Real. Did you say yeah. play for Real Madrid? Yeah, and then he went to San Lorenzo, and I think he won the Copa Libertadores with them as well. So, guy I was, was going to guess him as well. Yeah, Koshua. But no, but, but, but funny enough, I had him down as a midfielder. Yeah, well, he was. He was. Oh, see, there the you court. go. There you go, marvellous. But he did say he's like Carlos Edwards. Yeah, and he he played in the formation we played. He played deeper, and then right. he was that quick. He was an f- absolute flying machine. It would have been the best hundred meter sprint you'd ever seen. <laughs> Me, you, Carlos Edwards, and Javier. <laughs> would you two still be going now? What's that, mate? Would you two still be going now, or who would win out of you two? Oh, I'm not sure, Marv. How your knees? I don't going? know. I don't know. I'm 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 quite sharp. I'm quite yeah, sure. I'm on a tennis court, mate, but I'm not sure about 100 metres. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, with the Carlos Edwards and the Javier one, I probably we wouldn't be in the lens after about two seconds. We'd be yeah, on screen. Be... Freaks. Absolute freaks. But my boys don't slow. My Sorry? Slow at all. No, I wasn't slow. No, I wasn't slow. No, Marv could shift. Yeah. These guys, were just another, these guys were just on another, another yeah. planet. Another oh. planet. 
So, left back. Well, you've gone for Javier Otero's right back. Who's left back? Yeah, so there was two boys. One was a Luton boy that went on to have a, a really good career. Um, again, left back, left midfield. Um, and then the other boy played with me in the national team. Um, played a lot of his football in, in Switzerland. And again, he was another attacking fullback that would, um, would go past players, um, cross balls in, score goals. Um, had a decent Champions League career as well. I think he played for four or 500 games in Switzerland there in the top flight. Um, and great guy to boot as well. Which so one are you going for? I'll go for the boy that I played with at Luton, I think. Oh. Was he at Rushton as well? Oh, good question. No, it's not Unders. No. No, it's not Unders. No. No, he's gone for um, Mr. Manager of Walsall now. Gone for Matthew Taylor. Yeah. Tails, that's right, that's true, okay. Yeah. Manager of Walsall at the moment. And he's just got, he's just started up there, I think. Yeah, little Jim Carrey yeah. looked like. But he, um, <laughs> just again with, with Maddie, I, I like my fullbacks being really, really aggressive and positive. And Taylor's could play left back, left midfield. He could probably, he's probably good enough to roll into the centre of park if, if needed. Yeah. Just the way that he could just go past players and, uh, and score goals. I think the other one was Scott Chipperfield, yeah. um, who was at Basel for, for a number, number of years. But um, Tails was, I just think the fact that he could defend and he had that pace, but he, his delivery and, and his energy was, was phenomenal. He was an absolute workhorse up and down that left side. His energy was unbelievable, wasn't it? I mean, it was yeah. it's, it's um, similar to, I mean, we've just spoken about the Hartlepool goal. It was that he got to that stage where. The fridge used to like okay, get John Louis off, push <laughs> tails up, and put me on at left back. Wasn't it? That was the yeah, one. That was, yeah, that was his get out of jail card. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to pay the two hundred dollars. He would just stick tails further up the pitch. <laughs> but it didn't so, matter. Do you know what I mean? Like he'd he'd be at left back, and he'd still be under the pump, and you'd be looking over your shoulder, and he'd, he'd be up at the other end of the pitch. Yeah. And then right next to you about two seconds later and you're just like, how did that happen? You know, he, you know, not necessarily the most talented player, but his work rate and he did, don't get me wrong, but his work rate was, you know, if every kid or every aspiring footballer gave the effort that that kid had, they're all going to give themselves a chance. So it was just pure work rate and, and ability to count that I thought Taylor sort of epitomised, you know, for every young player, if they could bottle that up. They weren't gonna I agree. Them. Definitely. Could he hit it as well back then? Could he wallop them? I mean, he scored what yeah. fifty yards for Portsmouth, yeah. I think. He, from a from from the get go, he could hit it. It was like ridiculous from the yeah. get go. He was like just whack, wasn't it? It was like yeah. <laughs> it was even then, Mark. I, I think the the ability he had to hit balls on the run as well, and then it was and though it was the old knuckleball flying everywhere. He just had that real ability at pace to to strike a ball. So he's yeah, he's. He's definitely, I'm not sure. I reckon I've gone Kevin Keegan here. I reckon my team's either winning 5 0 or <laughs> fantastic. So we get to your two. Well, I say your two's no more. I played a bit left, bit at centre back, but we get to your two's positions centre backs. All right. Well, you might get this one. He came out and played actually here with me at Perth Glory. Um, but he most of his career, I think he came out at 35. Um, Charlton. Do you international as well? Uh, no, I don't think he is. No, oh. played at Bolton, played at Charlton. A tough tackling defender. Bolton and Charlton, to name a few. Millwall. And he was no, I don't. Ah, oh, no. So I'm not thinking. I was thinking of um, what's his name? If I can't really pronounce that, is it Ifful? Ifful? No. And he was this towards the end of his career at Perth. Towards the end of his career, Marv. Bolton and I didn't live in Australia then, so I think famous, famous footballing family. Bolton. Charlton. Oh, Alan. Also a Blackburn. No. You'll no, kick cool. lost. Andy Todd. Andy Todd. Oh, very famous family, Colin. Yes, very. Yeah. Yes. What a um, great player. Like, I didn't realise how good he was. Obviously, you, you hear all the Toddy stories while you're playing football and that. And then he came over about two weeks after I'd come back with the family to, to Australia and um, Toddy rolled up and I was sitting there thinking, oh, God, this hard bastard's going to walk in here. He's just going to start this, that and the other. The most gentle character I've ever come across in football. Seriously. Really? What, a, what a beautiful guy. Family man, just really down to earth, um, really humble, just looked after all the young boys like he was an absolute gentleman. And then typical footballer, he walks across that line and just white line feet. <laughs> I 
Omni he was just they didn't know what hit him at first when he was you know when he when he came out here but I didn't realize just how good a footballer he was like he was right. and it was probably easy for him you know he had all that UK experience at the top level and, and came out here but I've seen other players come come back here and really struggle and um Toddy just, just breezed through it like he was an absolute pleasure to 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 play with but um also to spend time with, you know, it was, it was nice he'd come over and have any sort of nucleus here or any family. So I got to spend a bit of time with him and, um, you know, fantastic character. But there's no way I'd mess with him, mate. He was he was just old school tough. Like he just, yeah, I heard, I heard, his, I heard, his, I heard that he's, he's tough. So that looks like, is he still out there? How long did he stay out there for? No, nah, I think Toddy, is he coaching with Fino now? I'm not sure because I know he went over to Ireland with him. Okay. Um, and then I think he's had a couple of gigs with Fino and then he was working up at Blackpool. So I'm not sure if he's over in Bulgaria now, but yeah, he's, he's gone down that path. He was doing a bit of agency work and then um, the missus and the kids wanted to go back to the UK. So he went back there, but he loved it, mate. He'd rock up to training. He lived about 200 metres from the training ground here in Perth, right? It's 30 degrees every day, Marv. It's like, we're all freezing here. I've got to jump on. There's a minimum of 10 degrees today and it's like the middle of winter, but um Toddy would rock up, he'd have a pair of um, flip-flops on, pair of shorts and a singlet with his wash bag under his arm. He'd just rock up to train and it's like, what, mate, what are you doing? And he goes, mate, this is beautiful. I said, Toddy. Living the dream. He is living the dream. It was the middle of winter. Everyone's driving past him on the West Coast Highway just thinking, what's this idiot doing? <laughs> Looks like a homeless vagrant. <laughs> oh, he was in his element, mate. He loved it and he didn't care what anyone thought. You know, he just... He just loved life over here. But, um, yeah, I just – his professionalism, um, his ability, I didn't realise actually how good he was. And as a defender, one-on-one, et cetera, like he was he was as good as I've seen one-on-one. He didn't – not the biggest, Marv. Right. Five, 11, six-foot-ish, but didn't lose a head out. He was just so aggressive and his timing was phenomenal. So I enjoyed playing against, you know, alongside Toddy, I reckon, a lot, a lot more than I would have enjoyed playing against him, I reckon. <laughs> so you, you mentioned you went back to um, Australia, uh, obviously with the family, with family and stuff, and you settled back in Perth and things. Was that due to contracts, obviously Colchester and things like that coming up, or was it your own personal choice to draw a line in the sand? Yeah, no, I still had a couple of years left on my contract at Colchester, but I didn't really get on with Paul Lambert at the time. He came into Colchester after Geraint Williams had left and Kit Simons. And then he was just starting his own phase of what he wanted to do. You know, he literally went for a younger crew that he could come in and, and do what he wanted with. So I sort of knew the writing was on the wall. I came back from an international game um, and he took the armband off me without even speaking to me. Didn't even have a conversation with me, which that there's no dramas with that. It's his club. He's a gaffer. You know, whatever he said goes. But I thought a conversation might have been merited. So I pretty much knew from there the writing was on the wall. You've just gone away and played a World Cup qualifier. Um, and then that happened. But the thing for me was we're really settled in, in Luton, loved it there, had to leave for, you know, financial reasons with regards to the club, etc. cetera. Um, so my eldest boy, I think, was eight at the time. Moved to Colchester, he settled in again, and I was 31 at the time. Thought, if we do this again, how many times do I do it to the boy? And is he going to get a good education? Does Beck stay where she is? And then I don't see the family. You know, I might see him twice a week. Um, so for me at that time, being in the national team, I thought it was the right time to come home because it gave me a little bit more leverage as well um, coming back. So it was it was more for, I mean, Beck and the kids would have been happy to stay. I just didn't want my kid getting pulled from pillar to post and then my, my next boy, Aidan, was going into school as well. So I thought it was just the right time. And also, I always wanted the kids to grow up in Australia. You know, we're so fortunate. We live on the water. You know, the, the sun's shining every day. It's, you know, there's... It, it is a fantastic lifestyle for the for the kids to grow up in as well. So in a selfish way, I wanted, you know, that for, for the children as well. Yeah. And by birth? I grew up here. Yep. I grew up here. Mum, dad, brother, sister, my wife's family went to school together here. So um, it was a no-brainer. I was always coming back to Perth. So it's a great spot, mate. I mean, I know you guys over on the East Coast don't think as much. You think we're all um, a bit insulated and um, not well in the head, but... You know, it's it's good. We're, we're, we're so isolated. I think we're one of the most isolated cities in the world, but we've been fortunate. We've had no real COVID cases here. We've had maybe two weeks the whole time of lockdown. Um, so with those negatives come positives. So that was the whole reason I wanted to wanted to come back. And those people watching the video right now, I'm shaking my head in jealousy. So we'll move. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll move on. We'll move on. So next, Andy Todd. Next, Andy Todd. So I had two names down. One was a West Ham legend. Um, I played with him when he was rehabbing through his knee. He was a lot older than me. This was a lot of reserve football. Um, another hard man. And another one was one that I grew up with in the youth team at West Ham. Um, absolute Rolls Royce of a player. Went on to have an amazing career. And I think everyone from a young age knew that he was going to be the the top man. And I, I think he was. And uh, he reminds me, oh, I used to call one of the young boys that Marv coached at Luton his name, which might give you a bit of a hint, Marv. What, the, the, what, the Rolls Royce one? Yeah. Right, Rio? Yeah. Rio Who do you reckon it reminds you of when he was a kid? Huh? Who do you reckon it reminds you of as a kid? Ryan? Ryan? Was it Ryan Charles? Uh, do, you remember, do you remember when Kurt was coming through? Probably Kurt Davis. Oh, yes, 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 yes. This, I don't know whether he tried to imitate Rio or whatever, but he had the same perm, he had the same everything <laughs> going on. So, But he was, mate, he was phenomenal, Rio. You could, from, I don't know, I think I got there December 96, 95. And um, Rio was in that youth team and you could just tell straight away that the guy was phenomenal. Like he just danced past people. He'd roll up with the first team trainer and he was like destroying people. And we're not talking, you know, they were a, an established Premier League type team at the time and he was just rolling through them. He was a um, good player, but he, I mean, his turn of foot was was phenomenal as well. Like he was another one. I reckon him, Carlos and, and Artero could have a race. Yeah. Be- him. Yeah. He, um, he had bliss. And I reckon Thierry Henry is the only person I saw sort of eat him for speed. And um, he, w- he was rapid. But again, good person, good character. Um, but, you know, even from a young age, you could just tell that he was just something special. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, so just, just touching back to you, Coiny. So, I mean, obviously, Australian, what, I mean, what was it? I mean, how did the opportunity come ac- across for you to come across to the UK to... Um, to try and fulfil your dream to become a professional. But was it something that you've always wanted to do as, as you was growing up as a kid? Yeah, absolutely, Marv. So my mum and dad are from the north of England. So I was, a, you know, an Aussie kid and I classified myself as an Aussie, but grew up with English, English heritage. And all I knew growing up was football. So in the summer here, you play your, your, your summer sport, which for us was cricket. And then it was um, obviously football or soccer in the, in the winter. But um, I always wanted to be an athlete or a sportsman. So it got to the point I got chosen in the, in the Joeys, which is like the young uh, Aussie team. And we went across to South America for the world cup. And um, I was in the like state representative team. So the next step up was a national team for the cricket as well. But um, for me, like I, I just love football, absolutely love football. So on the back of that world cup, managed to have a decent tournament. And then uh, I think I was back for four or five weeks. Mum and dad made me finish my um, A-levels or whatever you, the equivalent. Yeah. Uh, finished my TE. Um, so I had something to fall back on if I, if I didn't make it. And then um, over to the UK from there. So I was fortunate. I was fit as a fiddle when I went over. I think we'd been in camp for about two and a half months. So I was in good nick, having been in a professional environment at 16 before I went over there. And it was tough, to be fair, Mark, the first three months, I reckon, four months. Imagine, yeah. yeah, well, a phone call. I remember my first phone bill came in, I almost cried. It was like 600 pounds or whatever. And it was like, well, what am I going to live on for the rest of the month? And I didn't realise that it was like a pound a minute and I was calling my missus, I was calling mum and dad and reverse charged calling them. And there was no emails, there was no Skype or Zoom or or anything back then. So it was tough the first three months. And then the other thing, Marv, like being a, an outsider as well, like I was taking Rio's best mate spot or I was taking someone else's spot, you know, so right. they're, they're thinking like, who's this little soft Aussie kid that's, that's just waltzed in here with his shit gear on and, you know, trying to have a go at it. So <laughs> it's one of them that, you know, you didn't have any mates to start with, but then once you sort of get into the nitty gritty of football, it's funny if you win a few tackles, win a few games, people start looking at you differently in the dressing room. Yeah. So the first few months were tough, but then from there, they were a great group. We had a good team as well, which always helps, you know, when you win week in, week and this out. Is, and this is at 16. You've come across, oh, 16, yeah. Sixteen turned seventeen, yeah. Sixteen turned seventeen. And did you? And obviously, you come on your own, or did you? Any, you yeah, what came you on. I went into an apartment with a lad called Paul Mitchell, um, who was a reserve player at West Ham at the time. So it was good for weight loss, mate, because we didn't eat too much. It was microwave um, <laughs> dinners and like none of the, you know, probably in hindsight, I should have probably gone into digs. Um, but because yeah. I'd been away for sort of three months, four months of the year before, I thought, no, nah, I'm fine. I'll be all right. I'll, I'll be able to cope. And I suppose I did cope, but 
it would have been a lot easier, you know, if I'd been in with a family, a couple of the boys. Yeah. Now, you know, so I mean, it's probably something now. If one of my boys ever done it, I'd probably advise them on that. But you know, you can only do that retrospectively as you get older, can't you? True. No, definitely, <clears throat> definitely. So what we'll do is we're going to pause it there, and then when we come back, we'll hear from the rest of Chris's uh, best eleven as well as Mars sixty seconds. Hi. I'm Kelvin Davis. This is Sean Deitch. This is Ricky Hill. My name is Kevin Nichols. My name is Mark Pembridge. Hi, my name's Rebecca Lowe. Kevin Gallen. Hi, my name is Mick Harford. My name's Steve Davis. This is Ian Foyer and Kevin Foley. My name's Graham Alexander. And you're listening to... And you're listening to My Best Eleven. My... My Best Eleven. My Best Eleven podcast. Great, so we're back for part two of Chris Coyne's My Best 11. I'm going to fire straight over to Marv for Marv's 60 seconds. Chris, all you need to do is just say the first word or the first answer that comes into your head. It is, we're not stitching you up here. These are all football related. Um, we're just after a quick, short fire, whatever comes into your head. Marv, over to you. Okay, VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Um, funniest teammate? Nico, Kevin Nichols. Okay. Favourite place to go on holiday? Vietnam. Okay. Favourite other sport apart from football? Cricket. If you could if you could change one rule in the game, what would it be? I could change one rule in the game. At the moment, handball. Okay. Rangers or Celtic? Celtic. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. I know the answer to this one. Aussie rules or cricket? Cricket. Favourite colour? Blue. Oh, my gosh. Win 1-0... In a World Cup final, play only 20 minutes or lose 4 3, but score a hat trick. Win 1 0, Marvel. All day long. <laughs> All day long, like clean sheet. Fantastic. One more, Marv. One more. Okay. I'm trying to find one more for him. Best ground you played at? Celtic Park, just for the atmosphere. Probably not the best stadium. Yokohama in Japan was phenomenal, but Celtic Park, just for the noise. And of course, okay. Ange is over there right now. Doing the Aussie yeah, proud. Doing well. doing well by the look of it. So I've been keeping a closer eye on it now that he's there. So I reckon he'll do really well. So yourself, is that the path you want to go down? Obviously, I'm not necessarily saying Celtic, but is that where you see yourself going in terms of management? I hope, listen, I hope so. I'm on a, on a little journey now. I've just gone into a, into a role at Perth Glory, which is the professional club here in Australia. So I think I've done my apprenticeship with with the amateur type MPL side here in, in Perth. So I always I always see coaching as you've got to learn your trade. I know I'm a better coach now than I was seven eight years ago when I started the journey. So if it does take me down that path, then I'll, I'll keep learning and, and trying hard to, to to get better. But I do love the game. I'm really enjoying. I was working with adults and, and men before, and I've really enjoyed going back down into that sort of youth academy type stuff now where the kids, you know, they're so, um, they're good players, but they're just so eager to learn and that the bits of information you give them and when you can see them take it out onto the pitch, I do get a lot more satisfaction out of it than a grown man because you, you assume that the grown man should know or should ex you, you expect that off the, the older players. Where when you see it in the kids and they start implementing what you're working on, it's um, it's quite satisfying as well. And I come home and it's driving in the car and it's like one of them little fist pump moments where you go, oh, that was superb today. So we'll see where it takes us. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, early starts. We start at six o'clock every morning. Um, training, training starts at seven and um, it's good fun. So Richard Garcia, Mark, do you remember Richie from Colchester? Yeah. Yeah. So Richie's yeah. gaffer now at Perth Glory. Um, so I grew up with with Richie and then Terry McFlynn that used to be at QPR. Um, he's the head of football ops and Steve McGarry, who was at um, St. Mirren and, and whatnot. And a boy called Ruben Zadkovich, who I'm working with um, really closely. He's um, very, very good at his job. He's worked with Ange and um, he's worked with Graham Arnold, the national coach as well. So he's um, he's brought some really, really fresh ideas in as well. So no, it's good fun. Good fun. And the the fact I've played with these boys and, you know, we've been in the trenches together, it always helps because you know you've got that trust and you know where, where each other's coming from. Even when you're, you're having a bad day, you know, they, they know where you're at as an as a individual, not just a, from a football perspective. Yeah. What's your dream job, Australia or England national coach? Um, I reckon England. I reckon you can't. How can you, after watching the Euros, how could you go past that? Yeah. 
was, you saw the crowd starting to build up and I was getting up with the kids and watching it and it was just like, wow, how good is this? Yeah. Like it's, don't get me wrong, I'm an Aussie, I'm a proud Aussie and, um, but I'm also a realist, you know, if it was the Australian cricket team or the English cricket team, I'd have to obviously go for Australia and coach that. But having watched that just recently and seeing what that young England group's doing, I don't reckon they're too too far off from being... No. Uh, no. And with your attacking lineups, you're picking the amount yeah. of attacking players England have got. You're going to have Jaden Sancho right back and everybody Absolutely. going, isn't you? Yeah, Maguire, you're on the bench, mate. We don't need stoppers. I'll just have Walker, just have one <laughs> This <laughs> man in the world just flying around. <laughs> Great. So, um, get back to your team. Four, three, three. Um, wherever you like. Are you, are you playing a holding person and then two? Yeah, I'm going to play two. I'm going to play two holders. So that's my only. I've got four defenders, the two centre backs and the two sixes. They'll prop it up for me. But um, one of them, you might know, Marv. He was at Dundee with me. Uh, this would have been 2000, 2001. And then he went from did he, there. Did he, did, he, did, he, did he play at Sunderland? Uh, no, but his namesake did. He went to Rangers and Cardiff. Yeah. Yep. You got him off. And he's going to Australia. Yes. Go on. Gavin Ray. Correct. Yes. Did he play at Fulham at Sunderland as well? That's what I would have guessed. No, that. Alex did. Yeah. Oh, Alex did. That's right. Right. So, yeah, Gav was well only. Well done, Andrew. Well done, Andrew. Not bad from you. I reckon you. I might have mentioned him before last time when we spoke. I reckon that's where you had Oh, I see now. <laughs> Don't give him any of this. I'm getting I smashed. See. All my mates are having a right old go at how much I'm getting smashed by you, Marv. So this is finally, finally. Nailed it. Nailed it, buddy. But Bro. yeah, no, he was um, box to box. Um, could tackle, could score goals. Um Read the game really well. He was one of them as well. If you ever made a mistake, even at centre-back, he was always up there picking up the pieces and he'd be at the other end trying to slot one in the next next minute. And um, Great, great guy. Again, really good leader, strong character, uh, good person. So, you know, underrated. I think because he worked so hard and a lot of his work was done for the benefit of the team, he didn't get the kudos that he deserved. But um, mm. he was a really, really good footballer. Never gave the ball away. Um, always try to play forward, be positive, hard. He was a tough boy as well, you know. He, he wouldn't wouldn't take let, let anyone take an inch off him. So I just think if I'm going to be all out of tack, I need someone in there that's going to uh, kick a few people along the way. <laughs> very true, very true. So who would you? I know you said that they he did a lot of the kind of dirty work, I suppose, and the grunt work. Um, that's changing in the modern era. I mean, the two names that are being thrown around for Ballon d'Or and things like that, is people like Kante and Jorginho. Um, I know maybe Jorginho's a little bit different, but do you think that's changing in, in football, that people are actually appreciating, and the same for you, Marv, as well, do you think people are appreciating different positions and they have a job to do, and you know what? They're needed. Go on, Marv. 100%. No, 100%. I mean, you, you mentioned one, like Kante's been doing it for like, I mean, years. I mean, at Chelsea, I mean, you look at the size of him, and it's only now where the pundits are looking at him and scrutinising his game and seeing what he brings to the value of Chelsea's like actual game itself in moving forward to actually see out and win a game. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you look at. I know Liverpool had their issues last year, but you look at what happened when you take Van Dijk out. And his name was mentioned Ballon d'Or wise as well. Um, you look at, you know, Dutch teams when De Jong was breaking things up and, and getting around the park. So I think Makaleli and Chelsea, when they were being mm. successful, you know, they were under-recognised SIE. So they've always been there. It's yeah. just now that because teams are probably set up better defensively and the structure of the teams built around the defence, they're now getting more recognition because teams don't want to have those transition moments or turn balls over or whatever. So that, that defensive yeah. record, you know, is super important. So it, um, I think, oh, I don't know, I'm not a stats guy, but I reckon if you look at all the teams that win leagues, they've probably got the best defensive record. Yeah. So, Which is weird, because that's what I was going to ask you is, do you think that these players are coming more to the forefront? Because like you guys were obviously central defenders. Do you think central defenders aren't doing what traditionally they did? So therefore, these players are having to do a lot more work than they used to. Do you know what I mean? Because they're not... You Central defenders have to play the ball out. They have to... It's all about so many different things now than just tackling, getting... I'm not saying that's all it was, but do you understand my question? 
Yeah, I mean, but I think just quickly, I think just going to what Coyne just said there, if, if you look at Van Dijk, he, obviously he can, he can like head, he can he can pass, he can compete. And you had him and you had um, the, the Liverpool back four, like um, Arnold and Robinson, they got the most assists, like going forward. But again, I think if you looked at the stats when they Liverpool won the league, they probably had the best defensively, I'm guessing. I don't know. They wouldn't even though they're... And then you go yeah. back to Keegan back in the day, Marv, what was that, 96 or 97 or whatever? And it was five, six, six, five, six, four, and they got to three games out. And if you keep yeah. shooting goals like that, you're not going to be successful. But the style of football they played was pleasing on the eye. Imagine right. if they had had a Makalele or someone in there in the in the center of the park. You know, it's 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 really important. But I think also the games change as well because you watch football now. I know it was quick back when we were playing, Mark, but God, it's quick now. Yeah. You know, you've only got to look, they're doing 15 Ks a game, 14 Ks a game at high speed and and the games evolve, so you need that sort of wrecking ball that can play as well in the in the middle of the park. But yeah, who's your next? Who's your next wrecking ball? <laughs> so again, I went with one that you wouldn't know anyway, but I played with him with the national side all the way up. Hold on, hold on, hold on! Yeah. Don't underestimate me. I've been going good, so just give us some little clues. Like okay, yeah, but. What club did he play at? What club? What club was he at then? Even though you, you was, he hasn't that. picked him. I haven't picked him yet, though, Mark, but you can have a go oh. if you want. He was at Palmer, and then he went to Blackburn, and he's an agent nowadays with Frank Trimbley. What na- um, No, he was at Palmer. Yeah. Was he at he was another at English club? I think he was at Empoli before that as well. Where? Empoli. That's oh, one of two players. I thought one of them was a centre-back. This is, it's not Ruben? No. 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 I don't think it's... No, because... I thought Brett Emerton played in Holland. I was, I was, he was at Blackburn. I was, he was at Blackburn. Is it Brett Emerton? He was at Blackburn. No. I had um, no. Vinnie Grella initially. Vince Grella. That was awesome. Yeah. So, is it? Yeah. So, Emo was at PSV Eindhoven, I think. Before, yeah. And yeah. went from PSV to, to Blackburn and done really well. But um, Where was Bresciano? Because Bresciano also was around. But he was more a centre-back, wasn't he? No, nah, Bresh was a midfielder as well. He probably played a little bit higher up the pitch until he got a bit older. He was yeah. probably more, more of a sort of number 10 type player. Because he was around Italy for years, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, mate, he left here when he was about 21, 22. And then I think he was over there for 12, 14 years. He had a yeah. really good career <laughs> over there. But um, no, I ended up going with um, an ex-teammate of ours, Marv, who for me, we had a good group. And for me, epitomised what the club was about. He, he drove everyone on. He set standards. Um, and Crazy. Nuts off his head. But I don't think people realised how good he was at football. No, like, yeah, I he agree. He was an unbelievable footballer. So injuries aside, I reckon he would have played most of his career if he'd not been fighting with managers or teammates or, you know, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he would have played his, his career in the, in the, his whole career in the Premier League. Yeah. I think he was a very, very good footballer. So we came through Chelsea, Chelsea Academy, wasn't it? Charlton. Charlton. I don't know why I keep saying I keep I'm, I meant Charlton. I said Chelsea, I don't know why. I mean, wasn't He's he been on it. You might know this, man. Wasn't he the captain or wasn't he England's 17s or 18s captain or uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, so I mean Kevin Nichols, he was he was some player and people didn't realise because Kev had this sort of persona of just being a hard man and winning tackles and whatever, he, he did make that Luton team tick. Yeah. He really made a tick. He set the tempo. He knew when we needed a rev. He knew when we needed a cuddle. He, he just dictated that whole environment at that time. And he was a big personality as well. Massive. Uh, massive oh, have you got what, sto- what story have you got? Because we've got, we've had fireworks. We've fireworks. Had fireworks, well, people's undies on it. Yep. Yeah. Remember when we got Lee Mansell's? Were you there when we got Mansell's car? And we took no. Lee Mansell's car and we parked it in the centre circle. At no. Road and we took the tyres off and hid them around the mosque and that out the front of Kenilworth Road. <laughs> no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. I didn't. Oh, uh, it was like, where's Wally? Warm? <laughs> How the hell did you get a car in there? Well, you could come through where Dickie brought, like, all the... That's right, yeah. Near the clock, there's a little... Yeah, I didn't think you could get a car in. Yeah, I know it's in the alleyway, but I didn't think you could fit a car. Jeez, that's going some. Yeah, no, we had had some good fun, mate. We had a loose dressing room. It was was good fun, but there's a few stories that will always remain secret, but, you know, we got up to all sorts. Nothing was sacred. (laughs) Nothing was sacred. 
So no. they, they, if the boys thought your gear was was terrible, you'd come back and be drew on, cut up, hacked up. Like there was nothing you couldn't get away with anything. What is it? Was it Steeny? Was it Nicola put Steeny's stuff on the back of the door? Yeah, he put his um, his shoes or yeah, I think it was his always split. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, it was his shoes. Like he nailed that. them to the door. He nailed them to the door. Yeah. <laughs> I heard, was, I don't know, was it, I can't remember whose podcast it was on, one of ours. They said that he was looking for weeks for them or days or something. He couldn't find them for days. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah. It, was, it was after a game. He went and he, and he had to wear flip-flops with his suit to go home. <laughs> good fun, though. It was all in good jest. No one ever got hurt. So, yeah. He, he, mate, Nico came with one of those big yellow triangles with a big health warning on him, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he was just a menace. And he was always up to something. If he was bored... That was yeah. like the time, like whenever he was injured or bored, like you knew shit was hitting the fan. But you know, all that stuff made for good fun. But I just yeah. don't think people realise that guy's range of passing. Yeah, true. He never gave the ball away. He was such an intelligent footballer. But I think the biggest thing for me, Marv, is understanding of the game in terms of when to speed the tempo up, like his game management. I suppose. Yeah. Nico was only twenty. What twenty four. When he came in, 23, 24, yeah. he was pretty young. I think a lot of Luton fans really saw it second time he came back in in that team that was minus 30. Obviously, in terms of just a personality, coming back, being still a player that could have played a couple of leagues up still, despite injuries and stuff. But you could see then was the tempo. He was, we had a brand new team, trialists all over the place, but he was the one who was solidifying it, even five, six, seven years on from when he left the club, he came back and still was doing that. Yeah, I mean, we've had him on and you hear and you hear him speak. I mean, there's there's just something which, I, I mean, I mean, we I think as a club, we have so many players who have re-signed, left and, and re-signed and come back. It speaks volumes about how much those players respect the club. And Nico's one of those players who he's just got this affiliation with um, the club, the fans and the whole persona of the club that it just it just gets it a little bit extra more I mean, I mean he, he, he's been honest and said like you know the second time around he, I mean his knee was shot but yeah. still he managed to dig deep and drive forward because of the it was Luton I suppose you know that managed yeah. to just to give him give him that extra extra impetus to to bring the club forward yeah I agree and even even when we were playing with him I reckon he was carrying that knee then yeah and he was so tough, like you'd never have known, like you'd go, have a look at this. And it was like the size of a house. And you're like, <laughs> you'd go, I don't see the physio, man. And he was just like, nah, she'll be right. And a couple of more briefing powders went down his neck and off he went. But he'd still roll out on a Saturday and, and just run through brick walls for his mates. He won games himself, I think, just on the back of his, his drive. and the turn. He was a true winner. He yeah. didn't like anything, did he? You and him used to have some right tussles where you were both <laughs> like absolute whingy, whingy bastards. But you had to win. Had to have the last word and had to win. <laughs> we used to just like you were the, like the odd couple, eh? Just go and get a room and fuck off somewhere. <laughs> Fantastic. So you've got Ray and Nichols basically staying there, protecting who's going to be the rest of the players, the flamboyant. So you've got the midfielder and then the front three. Yep. So it's obvious, in it? I think this one, in it? There might be. You All think right. you left, left footed? Look at Andrew's face. Look at Andrew's face. Look at his face. Andrew's... What's he on about there? What's he on about there? Was there any number of players, I reckon? No, well, really? There was, there was a few. There was a few. The one I went for, um, again, Australian boy. He was my roommate growing up through the under 17s with the national teams and that. Absolute legend of a guy. Um, great bloke, great career. Um, broke onto the stage in the, in the Premier League at a really young age. And scored some absolute bombs, but um, he was another was he one who was an absolute. Is he Everton? No, no, it's your. It's from they play with your favourite Premier League team, Liverpool. Certainly did. Yeah, signed from Leeds. Leeds, Leeds. Yeah. yeah. Is he the Is it no? So is he the attacking one, or is he up one of the front? Which no, one? He's going to be behind the front three. Yeah, behind the front three, mate. <laughs> he's behind the front three. Yeah, <laughs> cool. unbelievable player. Yeah. Unbelievable player. He, um, again, good person, really lovely fella. Um, but got, he could play football. He could. He just had a knack of drifting past players like they weren't there. But again, he was another one that was super intelligent on the on the football field. Could just pick a pass from nowhere. Um, great ability and and for a slight stature. I mean, he wasn't the big biggest H, but 
he was super strong, you know, he looked after himself. He'd be in the gym day before a game for an, about an hour, hour and a quarter, just getting his body right in the morning and just preparing and doing everything right. And he was, um, he was a fantastic player. I mean, again, injuries played a bit of a part towards, you know, I suppose that Liverpool, when he went to Liverpool, probably didn't yeah. see the best of him when his body wasn't right. But um, phenomenal player. I mean, absolute pin-up boy for Australian football. But um, just such a good guy as well, you know, to spend time with him. And <clears throat> I probably hadn't seen him for a couple of years and rock up somewhere and it's like, right, we're catching up next week or I want you to come up to mine or whatever. He's just one of them sort of people, you know, he's just such a such a good guy. But phenomenal talent. Absolutely. Yeah. Was he, was he, would he be as big... Um... I mean, because I mean, I'm obviously much older than you. Would he be a, a big pin-up for Australian um, football or in soccer? Um, yeah. Because I like, I had like the Duca is was like a, a big, massive, like unbelievable player who come out of there. It was just ridiculous, Corny. Great player, fantastic player. player. Yeah. Well, I didn't play with Dukes. He he came over. He was a bit older than me, so yeah. He, Came over a bit earlier, but um, he just kept himself to himself. I think he owns a cafe in Croatia or something at the moment and just doesn't get involved. <laughs> and I think I saw the first interview that he'd done in like 14 years the other the other week. So he just doesn't get involved with it where Harry was quite quiet, but because he had the blonde locks, looked like a bit of a surfy. He was sort of the, the pin-up right. And then a bit later on, it was obviously Timmy because he started scoring a lot of goals when he was at Everton and the World Cup, that bomb he scored against against mm-hmm. Holland in the World Cup sort of escalated his sort of standings. But Harry Kuehl for a long time was the, the, the sort of poster boy of Australian Poster football. boy. And he yeah. came through the, the, all the part, so-called pathways and all that. So he started at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Then he sort of went through all the international stages and played at every level. So he was the sort of one, especially breaking into that Leeds team. I think he was 17 at the time, scoring bombs against Arsenal and that. So yeah. That sort of escalated his um, standing quickly. Oh, definitely. And you reckon that he's obviously you put him in as a central attacking midfielder kind of play, and, and that may be because you're trying to fit him in your team. Where do you reckon his best position was? I I think he was best playing off someone, and you'll see in a minute why I've sort of put him up there. Um, but he just he, he didn't look quick, but he was he had such a turn of turn of pace, and he was so powerful that if he spotted a, an opportunity, he'd just bounce and fly and you, you wouldn't catch him. And he, his right foot wasn't great, but he, he had such a good ability to manipulate the ball to just get a shot off anyway, that once he got into anywhere in and around the box, he, he'd, he'd see you off. But he, again, he was one of them that he could pick a pass as well. So if he was playing behind a striker that was then linking the play, he'd slot things through or he'd reverse things or, or pick a pass. So he was you actually- go back to your lead stage, you're talking Viduka, Robbie Fowler, yeah, players like that, you know, yeah. that he could then play off and link and then give that freedom to, to get forward and try and score goals. Fantastic. So, front three. Start with the, was... the number nine. Number he, nine. He number got I, um, again, from the Luton days, it won't take you too much to work it out, but um, I just love playing with him. You know, he was a um, fantastic character, great fella, good laugh, um, goal scorer. And he was just good to have in your team. He was just one of them big, big bears that you, that I love playing with and and enjoyed his company. And he went on, you know, he started late but went on to um, yeah. to have a really, really good career. And he, I think he got what he deserved for all his hard work in the end as well, Marv. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, Steve Howard, obviously yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, hundred percent. And again, another one. The reason I, I chucked Howie in there, I played centre back with him, Marv, one game. And um, I forget what happened. I think Curtis was injured or suspended. Russell Perrett was definitely injured. The tin man was on the <laughs> treatment the table. Twig. The twig. And um, newly put Stevie but at centre back with me. I can't even remember who we were playing. Ended up getting man of the match. He's Cruyff turning dudes on the edge of the box. <laughs> and then after the game, he's just gone, it's fucking easy, man. <laughs> Shut up, mate. Seriously. And, uh, but mate, he, he could. He was again a really gifted footballer, and I yeah. think people just thought because he was a big brute, back stick, and he was heading things and beating people up. But the guy could play football, and um, you know he scored goals at every level. Every level he went to, he, he scored goals, and you know he might have just been one of those late bloomers that you know found his his niche or found himself later on when he went to Derby and Leicester and that. Like he, he had a, a cracker there, but uh, again. Just a good personality, just a good person to be around in the dressing room. And you knew when 
when shit hit the fan as well, you know, you, he always had your back. You know, I think yeah. that was one of the things about that dressing room. Everyone looked after each other and didn't matter where you were going or what you were doing, you knew your mates had you. So, you know, balls going in off Stevie, he'd, he'd hold things up, he'd hold two or three off, and then you've got people flying off him, and then he'd be the first one getting in the box to, to try and get a goal. So, good player, underrated in my opinion. Uh, he probably not... To, and no negatives to, to Stevie, but I reckon if he had another yard of pace, that he probably would have mm. been, you know, League One or Championship level. I think he he probably would have been at, at the top level his most of his career. Yeah. So when Howie, obviously Howie left Luton, um, and you had that kind of start of the exodus happen, you were still there and you started to take over leadership at the club. What was that like at the time, kind of around that kind of 06 yeah. time? Listen, it was still a good group and everyone stuck together, but you could see, and that's no disrespect to what was coming in, but then we lost Viney, we lost Howie, we lost Curtis, we lost uh, Kev Foley. You could see slowly but surely the team was starting to get dismantled, but then that's not to detract from the boys that were coming in because they were they were great lads. But when you lose people like Stevie Howard, you build a team around someone like that. So then to try and replace them with someone, it, it, there's some big shoes to fill, not just on the pitch, but off it. Um, so it was, it was a strange time. And then even during that process, we're in admin. I'm not sure. I can't remember hundred percent. You might be able to remind me, but I think we went into admin again later on. I think it might've been nine or 10 months later. Yeah. Once all that went on, yeah. so it was just a really disjointed, disrupted, um, time at the club. So I still look back at it and fond memories because I was back 18 months ago, Marv, honestly. What an absolute privilege to walk into that place again and see the same faces, the same people. You know, it's it's still exactly the same club. It, it's such yeah. a good place to go to. And, you know, I think that's what kept us on our toes at that time as well, because we weren't just playing for ourselves. You know, we knew all the dinner ladies. We knew everyone. They weren't getting paid either. Um, and we knew we were all in the same boat as, as, as the people that were, you know, Dickie and, and everyone that was there at the time. So we, we stayed together like, you know, we always have. And it was a... He probably galvanised us a little bit as well in terms of we came closer as a group. But yeah. unfortunately, when you're having to do that on the pitch and you don't have the same quality of players you had before, and again, I say that with no disrespect to anyone that was at the club, I'm just more than I'm just pumping up Stevie's tyres and, and Curtis and boys like that because they were, they proved it with where they went to yeah. and what they did. So it was difficult, but... I think the club, as we're seeing now, maybe needed to go through that stage to get to the point they're at now. Yeah, means to an end. No, definitely. That's definitely. Right. So, Stevie's your number nine. Who's going to do all the legwork around? All right. So, on the right-hand side, I've got an Argentinian international. Um, yeah, I knew he was going to put him in. Look at How old was he then? Jeez. That's your age, Marv. Yeah, 64. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't got his pension card yet, though, mate. No, listen, he, I mean, obviously he must have been, I mean, I can't imagine, he must have been really good. I mean, oh, mate, still, be, I heard he was Yeah, And he was about 35 at the time, never missed a training session, never missed a running session, never missed a gym session. Like, the guy was an absolute freak. And then all of a sudden, you know what you like after training that, you just start messing around with balls and people start, you know, it's like circus time and that. He'd go, I'll get it from here. No, no way. He's about 20 metres behind the goal, right? And he just stabs his ball and the thing goes shooting past the goal and just spins all the way back into the back of the net. And you just like, how the hell, you, you know, I'll do it with my other foot. But the guy was a freak. Quick as anything I've seen on two feet. Um, great yeah. scorer. Again, really good person. Great person. Yeah. But phenomenal talent. Absolute scary, scary. Yes, go on, Marv. Claudio Canicia. Is that how you pronounce it? Canicia? Yeah. So how did he end up at Dundee? Yeah. I don't know. I think the I think the Italian mafia got him got him up there when when Benetti. Do you remember Ivano Benetti with the boy that used to be at Crystal Palace and Sampdoria? He was the, the manager there at the time. So I don't know whether they were using the same agent or you know yeah. And I don't know how things work in football. I was only about twenty two at the time, but um, he's rocked up at training. He's got these honking Louis Vuitton trousers on. He's got like a Versace top. His hair's flapping in the wind. It was minus fifteen degrees, and you're like, what? you know, what's this thing that's just strolled into the dressing room? And then straight away, he was just the nicest guy in the world. You know, two World Cups, scored at the highest level everywhere he's gone. 
And he was just an absolute gentleman of a guy, great guy. You know, he's sitting there having a coffee with him, Marv. And he goes, oh, one second. Diego's on the phone. He just trots off and then takes a phone call. And he's like, is, that, is he, like, taking the piss or what? Yeah, you, do, you don't like a name drop, but when it's Maradona, you're kind of, that's fair. That's okay. Mate, but he just, it was so matter-of-fact to him because he was his best mate. Yeah. So it wasn't like he was name-dropping. He was actually... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what I mean. I'm just leaving. Yeah. I'll just be back in a sec. So he was actually just being really polite and didn't want to leave the table without any manners. But um, phenomenal player, great guy. I mean, he was a weirdo. He used to go before the game, he'd be sitting there sucking on a Marlboro Red in the dressing room, like in the in the toilets. And then you go out and do about 15 Ks and you're like, you're a freak, absolute freak. But um, So was he brought up there, do you think, to to help the youngsters? And is that something that he, he did a lot of when he was up there? And obviously um, you've been a kind of youngster up there as well yourself. Yeah, I listen, it wasn't really a young squad. So when when Benetti went up there, it was I forget what they called it, it was the Italian Revolution or some garbage they called it. So they got, I think it was four Italians in there, um, three Spaniards, three Argentinians. The boy Caballero, do you remember Fabian Caballero? They yeah. Be at us. They brought Fabian up there. Juan Sara was up there, another Argentinian. So they just brought all these players. That's why I'm assuming it had something to do with the agent or you know, the networks that they're working through because their markets were a lot different than when they were transfer fees and, and all the rest of it. They, I think they had something called black money where it was net and not gross and all that sort of palaver. So God knows what was going on. There was the boy Kijan Shvili, do you remember him? That was um, that went to Rangers and then Blackburn. Oh, yes. Kijan Shvili, the defender. He was a really yeah. good player. Um, Georgie Nemzadzi was there as well, who was a Georgian captain at the time. So it was it was a it was a really good time. I think we finished third that year in the Scottish Premier League. Obviously, Rangers and Celtic won the league. Um, and then that year Kanija went to, to Rangers from there at 37. But um yeah, good, very good player, mate. I mean, like I said, he was quick, but he just had a, a real life for goal and he could kill you in a split second. One minute it was there, the next minute he was um see you later time. Yeah. And then and then obviously you made the, um, the move from there to Luton. So I mean, who how did that come about? What was when did you first hear about that? It's funny we played Luton in that game at Dundee, and there was a header right in the halfway line, and I was fighting for my spot at the time because he brought all these players in, and me and Howie have jumped for a header, and I've just gone through the back of him and smashed him, and he's rolled over. And you know he loved the whinge, didn't he? When you go through like when you smashed him, you'd have an absolute moan at you. <laughs> he was whinging away, and I've just gone, oh, shut up, you big so and so, whatever, and just got up and walked off. And then it was right in front of the Luton bench and then got a phone call a couple of days later. Would you be interested in coming? This is what we're looking at doing and um, sort of came from there. I was actually, funny story, I was, Joe Kinnear called me and I've just gone, yeah, hello. And he goes, oh, it's Joe Kinnear, blah, blah. I said, Joe, listen, I can't take the call at the moment. I've just got to go to court. I'll speak to you in a second. <laughs> so I've hung up, called him back about half an hour later and he's just gone, mate, what are you, you know, what's what's going on? And I just said, no, 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 it's nothing like that. I didn't realise you needed insurance in the UK. In Australia, you insure the car, not the driver. So it's a different sort of policy. So I drove my missus' car to training because mine had no petrol and got stung for it. But I had no, no idea I was driving without any insurance. And right. so he thought I was up to all sorts. But, it, you know, once I'd spoke to him and Mick, like, I was sold. We're doing this. This is what we're doing. We, we'll be out of this division this year. We're going to then build again. We'll be out of that league within two years. And... Everyone they were signing at the time, if you remember, everyone was a similar age, weren't they? Um, everyone was sort of coming in at, at about 23, 24, 25, plus the younger boys that were coming through, like yeah. and Matty Taylor. Um, there was a good sort of blend there. Yourself, obviously, were there. Embo was already there, wasn't he? So yeah. it was that sort of time where I think he just got a really good balance to, to push the team on. And um, he was true to his word at the end of the day. Like, he, he did, we did do what he, what he said we were going to do, so... Yeah, that's pretty much, that was the first time I think I'd come across their radar and it was maybe just because I'd give the big lump a good um, smashing on the halfway line. So, <laughs> But um, yeah, no, it was good. I'm glad it happened, mate. It wouldn't change it for the world. Fantastic. So who are you going for on the left? Well, my favourite, my Luton favourite, he was only there for a short time, but he was just a phenomenal talent. And I, I think we saw glimpses of him at his best, but I reckon at his best he would have... Um, would have blitzed any league in the world. Um, goal scorer, both feet, great delivery, lazy at times, but um, I just think a real, real um, talented player. Did he end up playing up in Scotland for Hearts? He did. <laughs> <laughs> so you've gone for a massive luxury player. Yeah. <laughs> that's, why, 
That's why I had to chuck Nico in there. I told you I had when when I told you about my midfield, I told you I needed a couple of panel beaters in there just to knock dents out of people. And when you've and that's got why you picked Matty Taylor and him on the left because you were that's what you loved. I love wide attacking players, and then I've got two that are going to sit and just stop everything, and two two defenders to fix the rest of it. So, so yeah, is what's that like first? I don't know what it was. Probably two or three goals were ridiculous, weren't they? It's, it's got, I've never seen everything like it. His, his debut was unreal, to be oh. fair, but then he scored two or three other goals on the back of his first goals. We were, we were like top corners. Yeah, and, and then and both, then October both feet, both feet as well. Like the, the one he scored, I can't remember who it was against, and he's coming off his left, and then he smashed one from forty odd with his right foot, and that thing's still whistling now, mate. That was, you know, that's some strike. But I mean, then you had the, the only downfall with John Louis is the fact that you then had to go to Halifax or Torquay or something yeah. on Tuesday night. But imagine if you had him and you were going to, you know, Sunderland or you're going somewhere to play football. I reckon he would have razzled, mate, mm. and. Um, I spoke to Mille Sajowski. Mille played with him in, um, he was at Lille with him in France. And he said the same thing. He said he was like, by far and away, one of the best players in the league. But he just done it when he fancied it. But, um, you know, I've only got 11, you know, you might get the old tactics board up after, after two minutes <laughs> off you come. But, um, you know, again, if I'm going to pay money to watch someone at Luton, I thought that he was, you know, bang for buck. I thought he was... Um, just a ridiculous talent. And I, I don't know whether League Two at the time was cut out for him. You know, he's probably rocking up just going, what, why why am I here? What am I doing? Well, you know, he got himself in that that situation for whatever yeah. reason. But I just think based on pure talent, the guy was um, scary. And he created a lot of goals as well, you know. He, he, he did. His delivery was, was superb. So, again, really attacking, but I just think on his day, he could just light, light the whole stadium up. And I think at times he did with some of those goals that he scored was, was phenomenal. And I just don't think any defender in their right mind would want to would mark him on, on his day. No, definitely. And you speak to, you see Luton fans on social media, the questions often come up, who's the best player ever seen? And so many of them say Jean-Louis Valois. So many of them, just because, like you say, that... That moment, the, the he's a get he's a he's a person who gets you off your seat. In... He does, yeah, absolutely, he excites you, and you'd pay your, you'd pay your hard earned money to watch him, wouldn't you? Now, whether you'd want to buy him if you're a coach, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when um, the fridge was trying to get him to do a chip to the back stick? John Louis, John Louis, Pomfret, Pomfret. Oh, you're off your head, mate. But. Um, he was good. I, his English was better than he let on as well. Of course it was. 100%. 100%. He stayed at the Arndale with me um, for a few weeks and like, he understood. He understood what was going on. It was just when Joe Kinnear got into his ear that he wasn't too interested to listen. But <laughs> it was a free spirit, wasn't he? It was a bit of... Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. But do you know what, Mark? He bought into what we were doing as well. Yeah. He was one of the yeah, boys. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I don't think he had too much choice, really, because he would have got roughed up if he didn't take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was always, if the boys did have the occasional night out, he was there, he always mucked in. You know, he was he was a good lad. He didn't just shy away from it, whatever. But yeah. it just wasn't suited when you go into somewhere, like I said, Lincoln or Halifax or wherever we were going at that time. He just wasn't suited to that sort of football. But then when he got him back to Wales, which was generally a good deck, he could get the ball down and play a bit. And I just think he was exciting, mate. I just really enjoyed yeah. watching yeah. him play. Yeah, definitely. So that is your 11. Not sure Next I question. Go, mid-table first year, I reckon, Marv. What's that? I reckon I could be mid-table this year. <laughs> in which in which league? Ooh. If I've got them all at their prime, go close to the Premier League, I reckon. I reckon so as well. Everybody at the prime. Rio, prim- Harry Kuehl. Oh, so did you did you not play Cahill? Nah, nah. Did you not? Well, no. I played with him. No, played I thought I would have, he would have been in definitely had goals galore from him. Yeah. Well, where would you put him though, Marv? Yeah. Because he's not like a he's not a central midfielder. He's not not a nine. I mean, I mean yeah. I mean, I I might. Have, I mean, I would have maybe just gone with Q on the left instead of Valois and then put him in attacking mid, maybe. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had a few in there. I had, like, obviously Lampard, Carrick, Joe Cole. I could have chucked them. Yeah. Few, but 
you know, it's one of them, some of the boys like Stevie and Nico, when you played with them more, you, you appreciate Yeah, oh, definitely. Listen, that's why it's your best 11, exactly. Yeah, it's, you and it's not necessarily like the best players, which is great. This is why I like the way you've, you've picked it. Like, I'm yeah. not saying that the players you picked are rubbish, but sometimes it, it might be someone who is a great teammate who made you laugh and just made the whole experience of a, at that club for you enjoyable, you know? 100%. 100%. And like in Nico and Howie, for example, you could build a team around those two any day of the week because you know week in, week out, you're going to get a seven or eight out of ten and they're, they're going to look after each, you know, everyone on that on that group. So... That's why when I was sitting it down, that's why I had to get pen and paper, mother. I was sitting there giving up my for <laughs> Wow, what am I picking here? But also, now you've got to think which which manager, or, or it could be a, um, a, a coach, a youth team coach, or which, which person is going to leave this team? Do you think got the bigger the sort of character to leave this team now? Yeah, so there was a, you probably won't know the guy. He was my youth coach um, for the national team. And we, because we were leading into the Youth World Cup, his name's Les Scheinflug, German guy. And um, as we were leading into the Youth World Cup, we obviously had massive lump camps where they'd sent you'd be away for sort of six to seven weeks. And um, in terms of uh, my education and where he sort of got me to, you know, I went in as a midfielder. Marv. I thought I was like a goal scorer midfielder when I went in there and he's just gone, eh, eh, English, you're a, you're a stopper. <laughs> 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 yeah. I suppose it helped. We had a good, we had a good team as well. We had Brett Emmett and Harry Kuehl and you know boys. We had a decent group that would spend weeks and weeks and weeks away. And he'd end up doing a back five with one in front against eleven men. He goes right. If you don't score, you've got. If they don't score, you've got the day off tomorrow. But we'd work that hard as a group. We knew our jobs that well that we played. We played almost ninety minutes, month. Really. So in terms of my um, development, like I, I, I him a an absolute bucket load. And even now, any pros that have played for him or anyone that sees him now, he's over in Sydney now, everyone still calls him boss. So he was a real disciplinarian in terms of learning respect and resilience and all those little things now that I think have gone by the wayside a little bit. Right. Um, if you didn't walk past him and say, good morning, boss, then you knew you were guaranteed. He wouldn't say anything, but everyone would be doing push-ups for, for 20 minutes when he got to train Everyone now, 40, 50-year-old blokes, still call him boss even now when they see him. And he, he wasn't, he was a disciplinarian, but he wasn't a, an ass about it. Do you know what I mean? Like he wasn't, right. it was always from a good place. It was always about making you a better person and a better player. So, yeah. Um, he was, he was really, um, you know, he got, I think in my career anyway, I think he played a big part. Yeah. Fantastic. So, um we always like to find out what you're doing right now. You mentioned it earlier on. So you're yeah. currently heading up the youth setup at Perth. No, I'm, I'm the assistant there. So Ruben Zadkovic has come in. He's um, he's only a young guy, actually. He's 34, 35, but fantastic coach. So me and him are doing like the MPL, which is the um, under-23s, I suppose, if you're comparing it to the UK. And then um, I'm doing the defensive stuff in the, in the A-League set up as well so I look after all the defensive type stuff there so good fun really enjoying it um good group and like I said I'm enjoying working with the younger ones as well you know the older boys are good because sometimes it's only a little look at the eyes and they know exactly what they should have done where with the younger ones having that time to spend with them trying to make them better players is, is really good fun fantastic and what age do you work with all the way from 12 percent no, 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 no. It's the older ones, so they're under 20s, but some of them last week we had about four or five under 15s in there. So we're sort of at that point now where we're looking at what's for next year. So we rolled um, some of the young ones in there and they're, they're really, you know, really applying themselves well. So again, if you're old enough, you're good enough. Um, and we're just trying to get that next generation. And hopefully we can teach them some of that resilience and the one percenters. But me and Rubes are having good fun along the way, so it's um, always important that you, you enjoy what you're doing. Fantastic. Well, Coiny, thank, appreciate thank it. Thank you Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, yeah. right. And that was Chris Coins, My Best 11. <laughs>